Good morning. I'd like to uh, add my welcome to that that uh, Royce and Bruce have already made to each of you as you participate with us this morning, whether you're in the auditorium, in the lounge, or actively watching online and participating with us through the live streaming. Welcome to you all. This morning we're continuing our series on encounters and um, today it's an encounter with prayer. Uh, a young dad and his uh, little boy were, had been in town on business and time had run out, as it often does, and they were feeling hungry and they had a long way to go home, so dad said, let's pop into Macca's and have a quick bite to eat, son. Well, son wasn't going to knock that back, was he? So they went in and as was their custom at home, when they received their meal, they went to say grace, but because it's a public place, Dad didn't want to embarrass anybody or his son, so he said, son, let's just have a silent prayer. You've probably done this yourself. Bowed his head, gave silent thanks to God for his food, lifted his head up, and his little boy still got his head down. Still got it down. His head's still down, and eventually he lifted his head up and he said, son, what were you praying about? He said, I don't know, Dad, it was silent. <laughs> so this morning we're going to have 30 minutes of silence? No. <laughs> My original plan as I um, was asked to consider bringing a, a message this morning about encounters was uh, to go straight to Mary and Martha because I really relate to that story. I'm such a task-oriented person and... I get so frustrated when uh, some of us are working and others are sitting around talking. <laughs> get up and help. And so I thought, well, maybe that would be a good exercise for me to have to wrestle with that passage to draw out uh, Mary's side of the story where she sits at the feet of Jesus and, as Jesus says, uh, is participating in something far more important than the activity. That really annoys me. <laughs> I like to do things. I like to achieve things. But every time I looked at this passage uh, uh, prior to sending the notes through to the creative arts team to tell them what passage I was going to use so that we didn't clash, my eyes kept slipping down to, to the next verse. You see, I was in uh, Luke chapter 10, the end verses there with Martha and Mary, I think it's 38 to 42 or something like that. And as I was reading this and reflecting on it, my eyes kept slipping down to the next line. It was like, <clears throat> get them up. <clears throat> get them up. All right, I give in. So in faith, I stepped out, not knowing what this was all about, and sent the message to the team to say that I was going to preach on speak on prayer and encounter with prayer and uh, with trepidation. And um, so this last however many weeks it is, I've been on a real journey. You see, for a long time, I, well, I guess since ever, the church introduced this Daily Hope bookmarks and uh, processes like that. I've been diligently doing the readings and um, writing a little bit and uh, participating, but uh, as you'll find out, I've been um, on a real journey recently. And uh, this passage from Luke chapter 11, verses 
1 to 4 and uh, you can either follow in your Bibles or on the screen or from the version online if that's your preference. And um, I just want to sketch to you the situation as that passage stays up on the screen. Um, Jesus is with his disciples obviously and he knows the future. <laughs> and he knows that he's not going to be around for very long and um, they've had the Son of God with them they haven't always understood that. And they've been talking and he's, they've had the privilege of talking to the Son of God and in a sense talking to the Father through the Son of God. And uh, he knows that they're going to need the continuation of this to get through the job that they have lined up for them that they haven't really understood yet. And so let's read from that passage. And I've deliberately chosen an older translation of the scripture simply because that's the year I come from. I relate to it. I remember the prayers and the passages easier from that. So forgive me if this is all a little bit old English for you. But I will try and endeavour to explain. Now it came to pass, it reads, as he was praying, that's Jesus, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I just want to stop there for a second. You see, the Jewish history or the Jewish culture of this time was that rabbis would teach their adherents, their scholars, their students, certain prayers to use in worship and adoration and in their own time with God. And so it was a custom that people had set prayers to use and they were familiar with that. And also, they'd found out that John the Baptist had done the same with his followers, his disciples. And of course, they're beginning to say, well, Jesus, you're our rabbi, you're our teacher, teach us, please. And so we continue. And so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, sorry, I slipped into my old translation, my very old translation. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and that's been passed down to us. I want to give you a quick overview, a brief encounter with prayer. So if you have to duck off or if you have to do with children somewhere, you will at least have an overview. A brief encounter with the Lord's Prayer. Three points. Sermon's always got to have three points. <laughs> Firstly, it's brief. What does that tell us about our prayers? The Lord's Prayer is brief. Secondly, it's all about asking. And thirdly, God first, then our needs. And uh, no matter where you are on our hope pathway, whether you're an inquirer or a, uh, a friend or somebody who's exploring, a new Christian or growing Christian or a Jesus-centred, others-focused follower of Christ, this prayer and what I'm about to share with you, I believe, can make some impact on your life. So firstly, I want to share with you the purpose of prayer. We've already mentioned about Jesus giving the disciples the prayer for their purpose, but 
for our purposes and for prayer generally, prayer is the speaking part, the conversation, the communication of us with God our Father. That's it. End of story. It's the simple bit. It's talking with our Heavenly Father. It's the relationship that communication happens in. Now, I also want to use a term quite a few times through this called spiritual reality. Now, my definition of spiritual reality is what is taking place in the spiritual realm, which we struggle to understand, whether we understand it or even believe it, it's what's taking place in the spiritual realm around us and in heaven. That's what my definition of the spiritual reality is. And so there's some spiritual realities here about prayer that I want to mention. One is that prayer reaches into heaven. It reaches into heaven and God hears. And that doesn't depend on our feelings or our sense of him hearing. It's a fact. It's a spiritual reality. And secondly, prayer makes heaven's power and resources available to us. That's also a spiritual reality. It's a mystery, but it's a spiritual reality. And in fact, in Revelation 5.8, when um, the writer is summing up a, a vision of the, the end times, he describes the bowls full of fur, uh, incense, which he says are the prayers of the saints. So our prayers are, are actually collected in heaven. Fantastic, a mystery, but it's a spiritual reality. So the purpose of prayer is our communication, so I want to suggest to you that we need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously. You see, our vision here at Door of Hope is to be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world. And that fragility and that uncertainty is because, as Ephesians uh, records for us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's a spiritual reality. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get a, can't get, really get a handle on it. But it's a reality. Jesus came that we might have life and life in its fullness. Satan is about taking that off us and preventing that from becoming our reality. And effectively, he wants to kill us. He wants to stop us dead in our tracks so that we don't receive eternal life. But we need to be encouraged because it tells us in Colossians 2, in him... Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and power. Jesus is over the power of Satan and John tells us that uh, he that is in us is greater than he that is in that spiritual realm. So take it seriously. The other thing I want to mention is don't take it too seriously. <laughs> don't take it too seriously. To the extent that you are anxious about what to say, how to say it, where to say it, and what not to say. God is your heavenly Father. You can say anything to him, same as you probably could to your father. Well, within reason, of course. It depends how fast you can run. <laughs> <laughs> but you can come to God with everything that's on your heart. Philippians tells us, be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God. That word supplication is, just means asking. <laughs> it's your list. It's the things that are on your heart. So don't take it too seriously. Prayer is the antidote to anxiety. Just pray it. Just say it. Prayer is voicing your concerns and your burdens and leaving them in good hands, in God's hands. Now, I want to quickly take you through five promises that I've discovered in the Lord's Prayer as I've been on this journey. And the first one is the person of prayer. As we start that off, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We start with God. This is the whole point of the communication. That's who we're talking to. Not often do we stand and talk to ourselves. Well, some of us do. It's when you get an answer back that you really worry, isn't it? <laughs> but you, we, we don't often talk to nothing or no one. We are talking to God when we pray. And it says, our, our Father. And there's a sense in which that means that Jesus has said you can use this in togetherness, in community, in fellowship, in worship. And there's also a sense in which he's saying you're part of the worldwide family of God. So when you pray our Father, you're actually alongside others, wherever they are, praying to the same Father God. A little boy was asked to, to recite the Lord's Prayer and uh, he'd seen lovely sunsets and he'd heard people talking about how God was majestic in his creation and so he said, Our Father who does art in heaven. <laughs> he was right. God does art in heaven. He's our Father. And the Father bit of this, our Father, is that he's the good, good Father compared to the bad, bad Father, Satan. God is the Father of light, the giver of light. Satan is the Father of lies, the Father of darkness. And then the word hallow simply means holy or set apart. Set apart from evil, not us. Set apart from evil, but not us. And uh, in the Old Testament um, Hebrew there are lots of different names for God and the Sunday school class were being taught these names and uh, uh, they reeled them off in the list of them. One little boy said, I know another one. And uh, the teacher said, what's that? And he said, Howard. Howard's God's name. The teacher said, how do you get to that? And he said, um, our Father who art in heaven, Howard is your name. <laughs> so <laughs> no matter how you call it, <laughs> God is holy and set apart from us. Now I'm, I'm conscious that in our fragile and uncertain world not everybody's experience of an earthly father is good. So I just want to encourage you if that's your experience talk to the good, good father. The one who wants to adopt you. The one who uh, by accepting his son takes you into his family. So that's the first promise, the person. The second promise is the petition or the asking. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we, we need to put God first, your kingdom, that uh, promise of God's that eventually he will completely establish his kingdom when he returns. 
It's partly established now because Jesus has been here and we are here, his disciples, but it ultimately will come and be established. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, in effect, saying, I thank God you're in charge and I'm not. Um, as John Ortberg, uh, noted author in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, writes, Many people think our job here on earth is to get our afterlife destination sorted and then tread water until <laughs> uh, we all get ejected and God comes back and tortures this place. But Jesus never told anybody, neither the disciples nor us, to pray, get me out of here <laughs> so I can go up there. His, Jesus' prayer was, make up there, come down here. Make things down here, run the way they do up there, perfectly. The request, your will be done, is God's invitation to join him in making things down here the way they are up there. They are up there, and that's our ministry. So that's the second promise. The third promise is the provision, the providing. Put God first, and now you can put your needs to God. And uh, Luke says, give us day by day our daily bread. This has particular significance when you think about going back to the Old Testament, Exodus, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt and uh, they were in the desert. They had to be fed. There were hundreds of thousands of them. There were many of them. And uh, God provided manna for them, which uh, interpreted means, what is this? <laughs> It looked like a sugary cornflakes, I think, by the description of it. And it arrived every morning and they could collect it and they could eat it and it would provide the food for the day. It wouldn't keep overnight. But on uh, the day before Sabbath, they got enough for two days and it actually uh, remained edible for that time. And God was teaching them that if you want to inherit the promised land, if you want to... In get into the promised land where I want to take you, you've got to depend on me. You've got to trust me to provide your natural daily provisions. And I think there's a parallel there for us. We may not be in a desert, or we may be in a sense, but asking God to provide our natural provisions is the dependence of children upon the Father. But you see, here's the rub. Here's, here's, the, here's the difficulty for us in our Western culture. We have fridges. We have refrigerators, we have freezers, we have supermarkets, we have salaries, we have pensions. We have come to depend or rely on everything but God's natural provisions. Now, of course, yes, we can see God working through those things. And daily I thank God for the thing called the old age pension. I don't thank him for the old bit, but the <laughs> age pension. Because it allows me to continue a lifestyle that is reasonable. But we need to go, I think, from out of our culture into a culture, a developing culture, like on our, some of our uh, hard plunge trips, where you see people depending daily on God's provision. And their gratefulness is so much more obvious than our gratefulness when they receive. And I think it might be appropriate too to pray daily for your spiritual provisions as well. Then the fourth promise is the pardon. The pardon. 
It goes on in Luke, and forgive us our sins, or in some translations it would have trespasses. And for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is where we ask God to forgive us for crossing the boundaries of his, uh, his, his desires for us and his limits for us. The Bible tells us firstly that we all, all fall short of God's standards and that the penalty for that is death. But it secondly says that Christ died for us and our sins have been dealt with because of that sacrifice. And so we now don't have to pay that penalty. And there is no condemnation now for us who do sin and we all sin, but we should come to God daily to cleanse that slate, to cleanse our conscience, to clear the air with God, to make the relationship clear again because sin gets between us and God. Our world is fragile and uncertain and that causes us to fall short of God's plans. But God's forgiveness of us is conditional. For it goes on to say in Matthew, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Because in that prayer we say, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. See, we cannot presume on God's forgiveness. We cannot refuse to forgive others' wrongs to us and expect God to forgive us. We owe that. We come to God to cleanse daily our, our relationship with him, to clear the air. The fifth and final promise is the protection. Luke says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And uh, the, this word temptation, the Greek word behind that I looked up says uh, the meaning is putting to proof to testing to trials and so we get that picture of not just temptation but the uh, all the things that come at us in this world variously we find it translated do not bring us to hard testing don't allow us to be tempted don't let us yield to temptation keep us clear of temptation you're getting the picture God help us avoid all this stuff now, there's a spiritual reality we need to understand is that God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't tempt us. In James, the writer there says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You see, the mechanism is we take our eyes off God and our focus shifts to something else, it might be good initially. You know, the difference between a good idea and a God idea is, oh. <laughs> our eyes are enticed away from God for a moment. Our focus shifts. Something creeps up in our conscience and our intellect and we justify what we're going to do because it's going to be fine and... We've opened the door for Satan to offer us, offer us counterfeit pleasure. Counterfeit pleasure. 
See, it starts with and ends with us, not God. That's, that's where it all comes in. It starts with us and ends with us, God. God doesn't tempt us, but God does test us. God does test us. That's a spiritual reality too. In the Old Testament, we're reminded in Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is, that was the process that the children of Israel were undergoing in the Exodus time when they were being led to the, to the uh, uh, promised land in Canaan. And then in the New Testament, James writes again, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And the, the biblical image that comes through from other passages is of precious metals being refined in the furnace. And sometimes the trials that we go through feel like that too feel like the burning fire of a furnace. God does test us, but take heart. The spiritual reality is that we have a tested and tempted saviour. We're not doing it alone. We have a test, tempted and tested saviour. The writer to the Hebrews explains it like this. He says, for we do not have a high priest, and he's talking to Hebrews, so he's giving you the imagery that they will understand, being Jesus here. We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The high priest was the intercessor of the people to God. He would go in and make prayers and, and, and offerings and, and sacrifice to communicate with God. Now we can do that directly. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, uh, we don't have a high priest. Jesus isn't somebody who doesn't understand that. He's not, he's not the perfect, he's not the perfect uh, unsullied uh, uh, example of this. He was tested and did not yield. Jesus came through that without any failure whatsoever. But he understands in all points. So to me, that immediately conjured up the picture of a healthy 30-something-year-old male amongst a whole lot of disciples, some of whom were women. And uh, my mind went even further, and I'm saying, hmm, these women are waiting on him hand and foot, basically, serving him, looking after him. And no doubt there's a sense of worship there as they look up to this man who speaks so wonderfully and carefully and, and faithfully and what have you. And I sense that the writer is saying here that Jesus was even tempted in that regard. And so men and women, take heart, your saviour, also was tested in all points. As a, an old hymn that we uh, sing occasionally puts it, Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually the disciples' prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer because Jesus couldn't have prayed it. It wouldn't have made sense if he'd prayed it. But he's given it to them and he's given it to us to model for us to show how uh, we can talk to the Father. And... Uh, it was effective for the disciples because I raced ahead in my reading and, and in Acts 
uh, chapter 1, it talks about the disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection and uh, ascension to heaven and they're on their own. Where does the Bible find them? In a room praying together. One accord, praying and asking God and waiting on him. So the Lord's Prayer was effective for the disciples. And the promises there are for us too. The promise of the person, the petition, the provision, the pardon and the protection. I alluded before to my own journey over these last few, I guess, weeks now. And in this I want to honour a praying wife and a praying mother by the name of Janet who has been an example to me for years and through this time in her faithfulness in prayer. Now, as I've mentioned before, I've been doing Daily Hope, the book reading, Bible reading um, plan and following that through and and I've been uh, writing, managing to write an A5 page and it's funny how all my writing ends up just at the bottom of the A5 page, never goes to the second page. Just, God just gives me that fit, (laughs) something about me and tasks there. Uh, and, but my praying was pretty perfunctory and uh, not something I'd necessarily be very proud of and I don't recall when I last prayed the Lord's Prayer up until this journey. Now, however, on this journey, partly as a, uh, as a result of being asked to look at a, an encounter and having my encounter uh, with prayer, but also some personal challenges in my life and, and, and so on, that now my Bible study, I've had to rearrange my whole morning because uh, my Bible study time just goes on. And uh, I'm not, I've discovered I'm not very good at vocal praying. Well, I don't like vocal praying when I'm on my own. So I've started writing prayers. And um, I'm now up three and four pages some days and I just realise I've gone over my one-page stop without amen at the bottom of the page there on that first one. It feels strange. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to daily connect with God and the worldwide community of God by praying, even if you choose to pray the Lord's Prayer each day. That will make a great difference to you. I want to challenge you to explore writing or praying your own version of the Lord's Prayer, using that as a model, the promises, the petition, the person, provision, pardon and protection. And this morning as uh, we come to the end of our service shortly, I invite you to come for prayer. Our uh, team of prayers will make their way down to the front of the auditorium as the uh, last song is being conducted and uh, if you have any prayer need even if it's the need to be advised or helped about prayer I'd encourage you to come forward I want to include my input time this morning by praying with you for you uh, with a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer let's bow our heads as I pray Our Father in heaven, teach us to pray like you taught your first disciples. 
Let your name be honoured and set apart as holy and not as a swear word. Please, we want your kingdom to fully come onto earth. We want your will to be done here as it is already done in heaven, perfectly and completely. We ask that you continue to give us food for our bodies daily and provide for the natural needs we have. We also ask that you forgive us as we recall our failures and restore us to the right relationship with you that our sin has hindered and blocked. We will forgive others like you have forgiven us. Keep us from temptation and from our own selves particularly. You know how weak we are. Please spare us from the evil one in the world who wants to kill and destroy. You alone can do these things because you have the power. It is your kingdom. You are glorious. You are eternal, unchanging God. Bless your name. So be it. Amen.